Welcome to Do A Blessing CNS Church London's podcast, sharing the good news weekly. We hope you are blessed by today's message. In the mighty name of Jesus, Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for bringing us to this Sunday, for taking us really through to the end of this year. Lord, you have been faithful. We thank you. We praise you. And I pray, Lord, this morning that you will help me to speak your word, that you help me to speak your mind that you help me to speak your heart to your people. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen, amen in Jesus' name. Good morning. Welcome to the 15th of December of 2019. God has been faithful. um, And I can see a pattern that God really has been working with and working on um, for the past few weeks. And last week the topic was to give thanks to God and the testimonies that once we say them out, they multiply. Um, So really my sermon today, it's almost a summary of what I've been able to learn, what I've been able to do and the fruit that it has yielded. And the title quite rightly is, what are you doing here? So part of what I'm going to be telling you is what I've been doing here and how the things that I have learned, the things I've applied have pretty much changed my life. I look back at where I was 10 years ago and what I was doing uh, at the end of 2009, beginning of 2010, and now I'm at the end of 2019, about to begin 2020, and it's different. It's a completely different um, story. So I was here around this time last year doing a teaching on Joseph, and I give thanks to God that after the networking evening, um, I can truly say that God had, had, has given me a Joseph moment in my life. Um, and it got to the point where I had to go to a library and I bought a book called Suddenly in Charge because I took a job not knowing that I would have a team to manage uh, and people to push work to. Um, so it, it, it's all kind of come as a bit of a shock. But God has been faithful. So what I want to share is how have I been able to work with God? How have I been able to partner with God um, to do these things? Um, a couple of weeks ago, some of you may have been here, were here, and you may have heard, you know, what God has in plan in terms of um, a ministry to the workplace for people in different parts of the world. And I want to show you, God is sharing you what is sharing with you what He's telling me. But what you don't know is what I have been telling him and the conversations that I've been having with him. Um, And I remember, you know, I would tell God, I said, I don't get to go on holidays. I don't get to do many things. But God, I want to travel the globe for your kingdom. And you have to make it happen for me. And God has a way of hearing those secret prayers. We think that God hears the most when our prayers are loud. But God hears most when... Our prayers come from the heart. So all that I can do really is not to say that this is what I've done that has moved the hand of God because it is all by grace. But I think there are things here that we can learn, that we can start to do. Um, really to make sure that when God says things, when prophecies are given, this begin to happen in our lives. I think it's better if I have the... Yeah, have it. Okay, so I've got a couple of books that I think everybody needs to buy and read. So, Honor's Reward and Driven by Eternity. They are written by the same person. And I read these books around 10 years ago. 
And trust me, they completely flipped the way that I looked at life. They flipped the way I looked at time. They flipped the way I spent my money, how I think, the things I value, the things that I don't value. It's a work in progress and I'm not there, but I can tell that from applying some of the principles I have learned in this book, I have been able to yield a harvest that I would not have been able to do even if I had spent the whole year praying and fasting. Many times we pray and we fast and we don't know the principles that move the hand of God. In fact, if you know the principles that move the hand of God with a little prayer, you will yield a lot of harvest. So these two books are vital um, and we don't have time to go into them now. But for those you know, who like to read, and I think they actually have them in audio now. So if, you, if you're not the reading type and you like to listen, um, these books really will change your life. Um, so in the interest of time, um, we've started a Bible study series, The Folly of Samson, Eli, and Saul. So we have started with Samson, and one of the reasons why we, um, we are studying these men is that the Lord told me that, unfortunately, we produce more Eli and Samson's and Saul's than we do David's and Samuel's. And there's a big issue because it means that God has God makes a promise and then he has to change his mind or things don't ever really quite reach the fullness that God has in mind because um, we disobey God. Um, and it's time that God is able to raise the Davids who can turn the lives of Saul around. So the whole reason that David was taken or that was brought to the palace of Saul was that he should have been um, Saul's rescuer. So Saul should have been able to look at David and say, the Holy Spirit that is on this man used to be on me. God, how can I get it back? But instead of that, Saul decides to persecute David. And in doing that, Saul sealed his fate. When someone is sent to you to help you, to make you better, and you persecute that person, you've sealed your own fate to end up like Eli and Samson. And so, so please, even if you're not able to make it in person, let's try and follow on Facebook um, because there's a lot of interesting things there um, that I feel will help us all. So what we're looking at this morning is what is your decision-making model? How do you make choices? Because our lives are a summary of the choices that we have made. And our future life is going to be a summary of the choices that we make even from now on. And God has brought you to this church. God has brought you to even this Facebook Live because God wants to change how you think. Once you change how you think, you change how you make your choices. And it follows that your life is also going to change. So the two books I mentioned, one was about honor. The other one was about eternity. Um, honoring people, honoring God uh, attracts the favor and blessing of God. And it does more than any special prayers and night vigils that you, that you can do. Eternity, knowing that we're here only for a short time, but we're going to be there for a very long time. And everything that we do here is in preparation for there. So, judgment, Romans 14, 10 and 12, and we can read that in our own time. We're going to be judged on what we were called to do and how much of it we did not necessarily on what we have done. So if I'm called to be a pastor and I choose to become an 
accountant, when I get to heaven, God will ask me, but I asked you to be a pastor. And I'll say, oh, but I was an accountant. I made lots of money for your kingdom, and that should be fine. But actually, God is going to say, I am judging you based on what I asked you to do. So it is in the interest of each person, each one of us, to find out in detail what is it that God wants me to do. And what God wants us to do changes on a day-by-day, month-by-month, year-by-year basis. But there's always an underlying theme, and it's vital that we find out. And how you find out is you, you read the word of God, you pray, but also you just, start, you just pick something up. You don't have to wait till God says, you know, you're going to start a church and you're going to be the leader of a church. Start with, as Pastor Bayo says, start with turning up in church on a regular basis and find something to do, even if it's just sweeping the floor. And from there, God will, God will test you, God will prove you, and you will just get bigger and bigger things that God is going to hand over to you because God has to be able to trust you first. And as in, in every job, when you start a new role, you have to prove to them that they have hired the right person or you prove to them that they've hired the wrong one. And if you prove to God that you cannot carry what he wants for you, he's just not going to take you there because God does not want to fail. So we are going to be judged on how we build the kingdom of God and how we build the lives of people. So everything that we do in life has to be tied about these two things if it's going to have eternal value. Now you can do those things, you can build people and not be a Christian, and you can yield fruit, but it will not have eternal value. So our brothers and sisters who are out there who do not believe in God, it's not that their work hasn't got worth, it has worth here and they will yield the fruit here, however, there is no, uh, there's nothing for them on the other side of eternity because you only access that by being a Christian. So I want you to think about the way I spend my time, how much of it goes towards building the kingdom of God and building other people. So that's the un- underlying theme. That is the end. So that is the, that is the paper that we're going to sit at the end of life. And it's graded. Not everybody gets the same grade. Okay, so when we moved into this church in October of, la- of last year, I saw this on the wall, and I'm going to pass it around for everybody to see it. And it's called Six Form per- Performance Indicators Commitment Grades. And it was first used in this school October of last year when we moved in. So as we moved in, they put this up saw this on the door and God said, make note of this because I am watching each and every single one of you and I'm grading you. So even before it came out in vision, God had told me, look at what, I've, what they've written here. Grade one star, grade one, grade two, three, four, and I'll pass it around and we can all see. And it looks at uh, what the level of commitment is inside and outside the classroom, the attendance, behavior, our deadlines met the quality of homework and whether you are at your target grade, whether you're meeting their target grade, below the target grade, and at the bottom in grade four, it says the students will be allocated compulsory study and their place on the course reviewed. God is saying that just as the education um, system has an expectation of people, so do I have an expectation of you as a church, each church member. 
that we will follow a certain um, standard, not just because of us, but because God seeks to use the church as a light to the Gentiles. So it will be, I think it will be um, baffling for many people who, who go to companies who work and know that the starting time is 9.30 and to then show up on Sunday and see that but you're the body of Christ. You're meant to have the Holy Spirit. You're meant to be better than the world. Um, so how come you can't come to church in time? And God is saying, I am looking at every single thing. And I know the reasons why you can or can't make it. God knows our hearts. God knows our reasons. God knows whether it's just because we feel we can sleep late. It doesn't matter if I go. And what God said is that if you show me that you don't take your calling seriously, neither will I take your calling seriously. <laughs> if you don't take it seriously, neither will I. And I thought, that's interesting. So I'll pass it around and as people have time. Have a look at it because God is serious. So grade one uh, to two, they're okay. Grade three and four, I think, would be a bit of a question mark. And we can all really seek our own, be honest with, with our own minds and with our own selves. And even ask God, God, where I am and where do I need to work on? So God rates churches too. So I've copied this from the website of Ofsted and it puts the fear in the heart of head, head teachers and teachers. And you go to the Ofsted ratings to choose what kind of school you will send your child to. You will hope everybody wants to their child to go to a grade one school. And honestly, God wants every one of his children to be in a grade one church, an outstanding church. That's what he wants. He wants to raise a church that will prepare people for their ministry, even outside of the church. He wants a church that equips people to build their families, to build their marriages. He wants a church that will make people the best version of who they are. Because when you go out there, the marketplace, it's brutal. If, you don't, if you're not up to scratch, people get fired, people get sacked, people get put on to the projects that don't matter. Even when you are good, if they don't like you, you'll find that things just bypass you. Um, as part of the book that I read, there was a lady there, because it, it just talks about the principles of how to do well in the workplace. This lady had uh, a good idea she told it to her manager and the manager said yes you know we create this post uh, and she had it in mind that she would be the one that would get that role in the team then what the manager did is that he asked the team members that she was working with and they said we don't want her to do that because she's not social she doesn't talk to us she doesn't go out to dinner with us we don't know what she's like and we feel that she would throw anybody under the bus to save herself. We don't trust her. So guess what they did? They created the role and they gave it to somebody else. And she felt bad and she was like, but why didn't they give it to me? And the manager told her, your teammates say that they feel that they cannot trust you. So that's the marketplace. We might be able to manage people and excuse people within the kingdom of God, within the church, but the marketplace will not do that. And if we will have a standing in the marketplace, we have to step our game up, even here. So he rates churches, there's 
grade one, there's grade two, and this is what Jesus did in Rev Revelations 2 to 3. To the angels of the church, so, 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 and so, your grade is one, your grade is two, is two, there's three, there's four. There's churches that they don't get told off. They said, you're doing everything right. Just be patient and wait. I am coming to give you a good reward. And there are some churches that God has, Jesus did not find anything good they're doing. All he did was that what you're doing is rubbish. You, you look good on the outside, but you're rotten on the, on the inside. So God is doing this. And God, God will move people. If God finds that, you know, you're in grade four, it pays me to start to move people from a grade four church to a grade three one. So at times we think, oh, some churches are larger, some churches are bigger. In the mind of God, God is saying, what is the output? When people come to you, how do they come out? One of the issues that we have in our fold is that we don't deal with people's soul. We don't deal with the faults of people's soul. We deal with the, the physical side. We deal with the spirit side. And what happens is we get more and more sinful as life goes on, as time goes on. And we're just not able to be the people that God wants us to be. And God is saying, if you don't change, I will just move my children to the churches where they will at least hear something that will help them grow. They will not be a perfect church, but at least I, I have more of a chance of reaching people if they will be taught more of the word of God. And it is time really that we go back to the word of God. The White Garment Church, CNS, started based on the word of God and we are left it, we have put it to one side and it's like going to chicken and chips leaving the chips and taking the ketchup. Prophecy is good, but prophecy is ketchup. And you cannot get full on ketchup. You get full on chips. Anyone can, my daughter tries it, it never works. You take the ketchup, she leave the first one, she leave the second one, she leave the third one, and then she come to me and she say, mommy, I'm hungry. Of course you're gonna be hungry. Because you get full on chips. The ketchup just gives it that extra taste. So we have the chance really um, to have a full meal, but we really do need to go back to the word of God. So why do we go back to the word of God? Because the word of God has the principles, it has the, it has the rules of the game. So you, you cannot pray yourself out of the rules of the game. If you know the rules, you know how to make your moves and you'll be scoring more points. Another people will be like, but she only did that. She was there last year and God had been shouting at you and you haven't done anything, because God uh, values his word more than his name, you can shout his name as long as you want, but if you do not follow the principles in his word, his hands are tied. His hands are tied. So what we want to be able to do in 2 John 8, we want a full reward. We want to live everything that God has in mind. If God has 10 things planned for us, we want to live 10. We want to live 9. We want to live 8. We don't want to live 1 or 2. And God is looking for people that will do what he says. See, the puzzle there, I, was, I, I actually tried to find something that maybe had, you know, the face of a person or a house or something. See, every time he asks us to do things and we do them, we get another piece of the puzzle. When we don't, we don't get the peace. So there's a lot of pieces to go there, but God says, 
Each time I tell you to do something and you do it, you get a piece of the puzzle. You get another piece, another piece, another piece. And it takes time to, to build up a puzzle, as we all know. But if we start to gamble and say, well, God has told me to do this, but I'm not going to do it. You don't know which piece of the puzzle you're missing. Okay? You, you don't know what the obedience at that, at that point, what would it have got you? When we first started this church, God was very clear. He said, I want this church to be a teaching church. So on Wednesdays, we do Bible study, teaching. And at some point, I was like, God, are you sure? And he said, you're a teaching church. Yes, some other places may, may be called to make the Wednesday um, warfare day. That is fine. I have called you to be a teaching church. Now, what I feel has worked quite well is our teaching is at the level now where it can match the needs of the marketplace. And that's why God is saying, I'm sending you out. Imagine if we had changed our mind and said, we too, we want to be warfare people. When God has not called us to be that, we would have given up the bigger picture for a smaller one. If we had said, yeah, we want to gather on Wednesdays, we want to clap, we want to go in spirit and give messages. There's nothing wrong with doing that. But God's mind was different. If we had skipped that, God would have just said, well, that's what I had in mind for you, but you're happy with less. Carry on. And someone else would have been raised to fulfill that purpose. So every time we disobey, we are losing a piece of the puzzle. And at times, we don't know how many pieces the disobedience would have lost us. And there's no way of finding out because God is not going to tell you. So there's a cycle. And this is what I was saying about the principle, the process. Um, for anyone to move into a new platform, to move into a new season, to move into some, something new, there has to be at first a confinement stage and a refinement stage. Joseph had it. Esther had it. So when God says, I want you to have a quiet wedding, when God says, I want you to, for example, he told me, he said, for five years, you're not allowed to go to parties. And I said, God, yes, for five years, I will not go to parties. But God, at the end of those five years, I want you to have done something that will, will make a louder noise than any party that I ever could have thrown. And we've got a year to go. So in this one year, I've told God, we've got to do something that is really is going to be out of this world. And that confinement and refinement process, I had to go through it. Because if I had been given a platform the way I was seven years ago, five years ago, ten years ago, I would have messed it up pretty quickly. Probably would have got to my head. I would have thought, yes, I've arrived and I'm awesome and I'm wonderful. And what I've realized now is that I'm not awesome, I'm not wonderful. It is God who is awesome in me. It is God who is wonderful in me. So it would be quite stupid of me to get proud. It would be foolish of me to start to think that this is my own doing. And I had to go through seasons where it was just dry. Just so for God to tell me that it's not your CV that is doing this. It's not your experience that is doing this. It's not even because uh, whatever you think that is doing this. It is my mercy and it is my grace. And I know what it's like to have a lot of money in your account, and I know what it's like to have none. So when I see people on either side, I know how easy it is to switch. It only takes the grace of God. 
you might think that you're in a permanent job, nothing can happen. Yes, it can happen because your company can shut down. And if you're in a specialized field and there's only those type of jobs within certain places, there are many people out there, they end up having to go to food banks and they're like, I never thought in a million years that I would be going to a food bank to get food for my children. If we're not going there, it is only by the grace of God. It is only by the grace of God. So there is this process and a lot of the time um, we don't want the confinement, we don't want the refinement. And I could tell you stories, but you know when you go through fire, all the, all the rubbish just burns off, it drops off. It's painful. It hurts. You will cry, you will feel like what you're doing is wrong, you will feel like, God, how can you let this happen to me? But God knew if Joseph had become second in charge in Egypt before he had been trained, he probably would have killed his brothers. And then what would have happened to the story of bringing Jesus to where would the line, what would God have done? At times you think this is taking long. Um, it's better to partner with God. Whatever you're going through, there's a reason. There's a preparation that God is doing in you. So one, you are ready for when God take, takes you there and you can strengthen people who are on their way. Now listen, if you stick to this thing, one day you're going to get it. You don't know what day it's going to be. You don't know what year it's going to be. That's why it says those who strive to the end will be saved. We don't know when the end is going to be. You don't know when you're going to land that big job. You don't know when you're going to meet your husband. You don't know when you're going to meet the destiny helper. But you've got to be on your best behavior all the time because God is watching. So this is another um, process that I learned a few weeks ago. So there's a cycle of opportunity. Before an opportunity will be brought to you, someone has made an observation. They've looked at you. They're watching you. And somebody has formed an opinion on you. And then you will be given or denied an opportunity. Same as happened to that um, lady that I was telling you had the great idea. There had been an observation by people. And the people have formed an opinion on her. And the opportunity was denied to her. Because of the opinion that people had formed from their observation of her. People are watching you all the time. God is watching you all the time. I know who to call if I need to go to the seaside at 12 noon or 12 midnight. I know who I can call. And I know who I would not, it would not even enter my mind to call them. Not because they don't have a car or because they don't have the ability to go. It's because I just know. If I tell them, right, God is saying that we should go to, to midnight to the seaside this time to pray for this and this and this. I know who I will call. The same if you have, if you know someone who is single, you know the type of girl that you say, this is my nephew. Where did you get that from? Because you've been watching people. And people can watch you just for a few minutes, a few seconds. They've made up their mind and it's difficult to shift an opinion. Difficult. So if that is people, it also works with God too. That's why God said of David, I have found a man that his heart is after my own. What God is saying is that I have found someone I like. If he can take care of sheep this well, if I give him people, he will take care of them. So if David has said, these are only sheep, I don't care. 
He would never have been chosen by God. Something else here. Opportunity tree. So this deals with how we treat people. As I said, you don't know who is who and you don't know who God is going to use. So here there's me, there's one person, and here there's three people who also know another six people who also know another nine people. And this is first tier opportunity, second tier, third, third tier. So this might be me, this might be my manager at work, and this might be a job, for example. But see, if you have burnt this bridge, I'm never going to tell my manager at work, and you're never going to get that job, at least not through me. So God now will have to be going around, say, send that one, okay, maybe this person, then we'll talk to that person, then they will go back down to that person. But if you burnt that one as well, and you see that now, there's no link and you've lost that place. Now all that God can do is hope, okay, we'll send her to this one. Maybe she'll get that job. And this can be ministry, this can be friendships, this can be husbands, this can be wives, this can be any manner of things. All because we burnt a bridge somewhere because we judge people by the flesh. Because we have some people that we think, you know, something good can come out of this person or this person, it doesn't matter. Or maybe you have a very thick book of vision where God has told you that you're going to be super great and you don't need anybody. So you treat people anyhow and then you find that one year, two years, five years, but God is saying it, it, it's not happening. This this is how life works. This is, there's no change in this. And one of the things that if we, will, if we will be useful, very useful to God, we need to learn how to get along with people. We need to learn how to get along with people. So these two ladies, Chinach and Bukala Bex and her husband, it is their time, it is their season, you know, you're on Instagram, you're on Facebook, they're singing, they're doing things. But I, I am pretty sure they went through a process. If they did not go through a process and they're not ready, they're not going to be up there for very long because they'll do something that will mess it up. Guaranteed. If someone has not been through, and that's what happened with Saul. Saul came out of nowhere. You are tall, you are fine, now you're king. And he had this sense that I'm tall, I'm fine, and I'm king. So even if I disobey God, who else could God choose? It's me. But God said, no. You misbehave the first time, you misbehave the second time. I have found someone else who will obey me. So these people, it may look like, yeah, it's their time, it's their season. There are things that they have done. There's a process that they have gone through to get to where they are. And if they have not gone through that process... They will not be where they are. And if they have not gone through a process, they cannot stay up there for very long. And I pray for them that God will keep them, that God will hold them in the places that they are, the impact they're making. Um, I pray that the devil will not be able to, to shut them up. Because the devil gets to do that too often with Christians. Um, and it's something that breaks the heart of God. This other chap, now his name is Mike um, Bickle, and he's a teacher. Um, and he's got um, what he, he called an international house of prayer. So he has basically a building where there's prayers going on 24-7. And it's been that, I think, for about 25 years. 24-7, there is either choir singing or people praying or teaching going on. And God told him very clearly, because I went to his website and I was like, you know, these are the kind of people where 
that I'm, I dream about bringing here. So I went to his website and he clearly said that God told him when he started the ministry, he said, you must not go anywhere outside of the city. The city that you're based at, you are not allowed to go and preach anywhere else. If people want you to preach at this conference, they bring the conference to you. You don't go to them. Blankets for the rest of his life. God said, you are not permitted to go anywhere to speak as a guest speaker for life. You stay there. And from there, I will send your word out to people. See, I don't hear of things like this in our fold. Where people will say, God has told me for five years I must not do this and I didn't do it. What I hear a lot of the times is, yeah, God told me to do it, but I didn't do it. I hear that very often. And it might be one of the reasons why we're not as relevant as we could be. I don't know why God said he shouldn't move from where he is. I have no idea and we don't need to know. I remember my daughter saying, oh, but why aren't you allowed to go to parties? I said, I didn't ask God why. I just did it. We don't need to know why at all. I said, we don't need to know why. We just do it. Then at the end, we will see. So God will hurt you before he can use you. Because he wants to see whether you want to be used just to be noticed and to be seen, to be celebrated, to be glorified. Can God hurt you? God will ask you to do things that you're like, but this is not how I thought it was. You know, we see people doing great things, either in the world or in ministry, and we don't know that the pains that they've gone through, the sacrifices they've had to make. And if we want to be used by God, we must be ready to also be used by people. Be used by people hurt. Because you feel like, but I was with this person for this number of years, with everything, with how I've showed you, how deep my whatever love, commitment, and you did this. God is saying, yep. Es- essentially, when you sign up for ministry, you're saying, I want to see the worst of people, but you'll also see the best of God. If you want to see the best of people, you might not see the best of God. In fact, if you're looking for the favor of people, if you want people to like you like Saul did, you may end up seeing the worst of God. So we're driving at something with this. So I'm going to share some of the things that I've learned. I haven't got a lot of time. So there's two types of mindsets. There's the fixed mindset and the growth mindset. And the lady that I mentioned here, Carol, Carol Dweck, she's a psychologist, psychiatrist, and she's studied people who achieve success in life and people that don't. And she broke them down into two types of mindset. It depends on how they think. Fixed mindset people, and it's not just intelligence. It can be gifts or personality. A fixed mindset person thinks that this is who I am. I cannot change. I cannot be any better. I am the best that I can be. And people like that tend not to um, perform at their best. Because if I'm right, whenever someone says that there's a better way of living my life, I'm just going to tell them, no, I don't want to hear about it. Whenever I come across something that will stretch me, something that will grow me, I will say no. Because in being stretched and growing, 
you're going to have to come out of you and you might look a bit silly while you're learning to do something new. And someone with a fixed mindset is limited to how much they can achieve. And at times, they, their fall is catastrophic because at the end, they surround themselves with people who tell them what they want to hear. And they don't want to be with people who are better than them. They always want to be the best one. So someone with a fixed mindset will marry someone that is lesser than them to make them feel good. Someone with a fixed mindset um, will go to a church where they say what he wants to hear or what she wants to hear. She doesn't want to grow. She just wants to go to a church that will reconfirm what they already know, what they already do. People like that don't get very far. Now, someone with a growth mindset is different. They want to grow. They want to be better. Criticism will come, but they know how to pick the good and discard the bad. They're not defined by anything or anyone. And this is an, another um, book that is good. If you Google her name, the book is Mindset. That, that is the title of it. And it, I haven't got enough time to go in it, but someone with a fixed mindset who marries someone with a growth mindset, there's going to be big problems in the house because the fixed mindset person doesn't want to work on the marriage. The fixed mindset person doesn't want to go on conferences. They don't want to, they don't want anybody to get involved because we already know what we're doing. And the growth mindset person is saying, we can be better. We can do better. A fixed mindset person says, we're in love and everything is just going to work out perfectly. A fixed mindset person will divorce someone because they feel they don't have to work out a marriage. It can just, it's just going to happen magically. A fixed mindset person who is gifted will attack anyone who dares to say that their gift needs some fine tuning. They'll attack anyone whose gift is better than them because all those things make them feel less. So if you see five vision and, and I see one, it is my job to make sure that you that sees five vision, I'm going to make life so hard for you that you're just not going to say them anymore. And can you see how at times God will send people to make you better, but your fixed mindset will make you turn a blind eye. And at some point, God is going to stop sending you people. Or if he does, the quality that he sends you is less and less. See, what I have found, God has helped me to um, the mentors I have, they keep be getting better and better because the ones he has given me, I treat them well and I honor them as best as I can do. And I've got mentors now that I look at them and I'm like, me, small person, I'm being mentored by this big person and I have no idea how God has done it. But if you have someone in your life, treat them well, treat them good. Because you are sowing a seed. And as I said, God is watching. God is watching. So one day we will have some time to go into all of that. So fixed mindset, uh, growth mindset. And there's a way to move from the fixed mindset to the growth mindset. And it just, it's a personal choice. You have to decide that you want to be more. And when you want to be more, you will be open to the ideas that other people have. You will, you will change 
how you react to things, but you've got to decide that you want to grow. And the sad thing is that someone who is doing relatively well with a fixed mindset will never feel that they need to change. They'll be like, I'm in a good job, I've got a good marriage, I've got good kids, my ministry is okay, I don't need to be more. And God is saying there is so much more that I could do if you would let me. So this is my new thing now. Um, coaching is what I do. I've, I've, I've been training to do this. And I think that in the way I have been doing it somehow really um, the whole of my life. So what is coaching? So coaching is uh, an, inst an instrument to increase someone's performance by removing the interference um, that is be between their potential and performance. So that means there's an interference that the dreams, the potential that you have versus what you're seeing, it's standing in the way. And the job of a coach is to get rid of these. Now there's ex external and internal interference. And this is in a graph form. So the black one is what you already do. The green one is what you could be doing. And the red stuff is the one that is holding you back. And this chart is different for each and every person. There are some people, the black bar is at the bottom because the interference is so big. So one of the reasons why the coaching business is really growing is that people are trying to get rid of the interference. And they are paying people who have a neutral mind and who are trained in that to take the interference off. But really, the, the, the church has been doing that for ages. So, if you change the wording around, you can see that there's a prophecy and the manifestation. So, how do we get from prophecy to the manifestation if we can get rid of the interference? The external one that might be a generational curse or spiritual attacks, whatever that may be, that is outside of you. And then the, in, the internal ones, those are the biggest ones. Okay? Dis, disobedience, wrong thinking, sin, sinful living, and sometimes lack of confidence. And with lack of confidence, it's lack of faith. God, can you really use me? So you think God can't use you? So you have boxed yourself off because you feel it cannot happen. Okay? So that's what the church does. So there's nothing new with coaching. When I went to the training, I was like... Ah, it's just, it's what we do every Sunday. Every Sunday you're here. God is using pastor to take away the interference. If you miss a session, then you've missed something else that God was trying to get rid of in you or plant in you. And the only person that is missing out is you. No, no one else. And God is saying, I want manifestation to happen in the life of each person, but there is interference that needs to be gotten rid of. Um, and this is the list of interference. Galatians 5, 19 to 21. Sinful thinking, sinful living, all that stuff on there. Eagerness for lustful pleasure, idolatry, spiritism, hatred and fighting, jealousy and anger. And this one I really like. Constant effort to get the best for yourself. Where you're out just for number one. You don't mind who pays. You don't mind who suffers. You just want what you want. God is saying with these things, it doesn't matter the number of prophecies, the manifestation 
will either not come or it will come in such a mild form that you wonder, was it God? And it's got nothing to do with God. It's got everything to do with how much of the interference are we realistically getting rid of? Or are we saying, well, my personality is to be angry, so I'm just going to be angry. Okay, so rushing through. So here, those who will not inherit the kingdom of God will also not build the kingdom of God. So whoever decides to hold on to those bad traits, God cannot use you to, use to build the kingdom of God, but the enemy can use you to build his own kingdom. Okay? God uses people who decide that this is who I am. He uses them to destroy churches, to destroy families, to destroy workplaces, to destroy lives. Not to build them. So the devil has a, a legal basis for everything that he does. And what we do when we get rid of sin in our lives, we reduce the amount of things that the devil can use to throw his rubbish at us. So when we hear the word about get rid of this sin, get rid of this sin, really what the pastor is saying, what the preacher is saying is, Get rid of the legal basis why God cannot but watch the enemy do what he does because you've given him the legal basis to, to do it. So we have seen these pictures a number of times, body, soul, and spirit. And I just want to show us how, again, these are all things that I've learned a long time and I am, I know. So 1 Corinthians 14.32. He says, and the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. What that passage means is not who is senior, who is junior. You know what it means? And this is part of the issues that we had with going from Hebrew to Greek to English. The spirit of the prophet is subject to the soul of the prophet. And not just the prophet, all of us. So what this means is what God shows you, whatever gift God has given you, whatever vision you have, it has to go through the soul before it comes to a manifestation. So that means that when we don't work on the soul, we are e effectively reducing how much of what God shows us or whatever gets into our real lives. And it's a big issue. That's one of the reasons I've said, God, I'm going to study how the soul works. I'm going to start to study how human being works. And I'm going to use the word of God to try and get us to be the best version of who we are. And help people to be at their very best. So this is why you have to be careful who prays for you. You have to be careful who you go to. Because you have to know what state their soul is in. For example, we went on an evangelism last year and we met this man who said uh, a prophet um, told him that you know he gave him a number of um, prophecies about five six and they had all come through apart from one so he said that the one that they told him was that God is saying that he's going to have a child out of wedlock so he has to be ready so we had that conversation we left the, myself and Laulu said we have to go back and tell this man we said Really, what that person should have told you is that you should be watchful of adultery. And we told him, all the glory that you're seeing in your life, if you make the, mis 
the mistake of going out of your wedlock, the devil will use that to pull you down. Now, I can bet you, the prophet that said that vision, his soul is thinking. I am pretty sure he's, he's doing that. That is his lifestyle. So you have to be careful. I'm sure God showed him correct, but your soul interprets things the way you are. So someone who has a rebellious streak, you don't want that person to be your counselor in marriage. Or someone who is sexist, you don't want that to be the one advising your husband that, you know, women are a necessary evil. And, you know, you have to be careful the things that you tell your wife, because if she knows this, you know, this is going to happen. Whereas someone whose soul is in the right place will say, your wife is the reason why God will answer your prayer or not. If your wife is crying, God's not going to listen to your prayer. Same vision, different soul. Results too is different. So we have to be careful. But more than that, we have to watch our own soul before we watch over somebody else. And I'm near to the end now, sorry. So this is something else I'm working on, and it's called disc profiling. And it's about how people are wired and when I went on this training, I was like, God, as in they've gone. So how this works, it's very basic, it's simple. So it divides people into four different types, um, and each person is a mixture of this. So it's whether you're focused on people or whether you're focused on tasks, whether you're an active person, whether you're a passive person. And there's a seven-minute test you take, and it tells you where you fall into. So the D person is driven, dominant, direct, decisive, determined, doer. C is com compliant and cautious and careful, correct. I is influential, informal, interactive, interested in people. And the S is steady, stable, supportive, and sensitive. Now, when I took the test, where do you think I fell? I was a D. I am a D. I am a very, I'm a very high D. The D is so high. When I took the test, the sonograph, and they was like, you. I was like, yes, that is me. That is me. So I'm a high D. Guess where my husband is? No, he's an S. He hasn't taken the test, but he's an S. And he's so, yeah, he's an S. He's, he's steady. He's stable. And he's married to like this driven train that is like, and really, at times I'm like, I wish I had done this test when we were dating because it just explains to you why, oh, that's why he said, oh, yeah, that's why. And I was like, you're telling me my marriage. And he was like, we've had that said by so many people that they finally realize why there's people they get along with and people they don't. So this is the kind of graphs that come out based on, you know, where um, you are. And it's, 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 I love it. And these are the kind of people they've profiled. So Trump is a D. Simon Cowell is a D. And I, sh I probably should have put my picture over there as well. <laughs> Obama, Clinton, they are eyes. Um, Diana is an S. Mother Teresa is an S. Bill Gates and Hillary Clinton are C's. 
But so I am Heidi, but I've also got C. And Pastor Bayo is an S, but he's also an I. Because he's very much into people and he's an, in, an influential person. D, we don't, we don't, I mean, with Simon Cowell, you've seen him. Somebody comes on, their mom, their dad has told them they don't know how to sing. They don't know how to sing. He tells them. And that's one of the reasons why Pastor can watch that kind of show where people get told off. Because he feels bad for the person. I love them. Safu, <laughs> Komoriko. Trump, he just says it like it is. Obama, you know, he's got, he can get people, he got people to vote for him without making any promises. What was his tagline? Yes, we can. What can we do? We don't know, but we just know that we can. Tony Blair, too, he's an I. They said Tony Blair didn't promise anything to anybody, but he won elections three times just because he was a likable person. Now, what am I saying? This is the basic wiring, and each of these has a good side and it has a bad side. Now, when I looked at mine, when you go to the details, so I put the good stuff in green, so I get things done, motivated, um, with, with success, um, self-confident, um, but then the red stuff there is, I don't, uh, lack of concern for others, yes. In, Impatience, yes. Insensitivity, yes. Hate, slow pace, strict rules, people who don't meet their standards. And this is copy and paste from the training book, so I'm not making this up. And there's this kind of thing in depth for each of those styles. And I can, just by looking at people, I can tell where people are now, and I know where the arguments are likely to happen. So someone who is a high D, who is married to an S, it should be a, a battlefield in our home. But the reason it's not is, one, we share the same value. Uh, yes, the word of God, but also e emotional intelligence, mostly his. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have that much of that. But if you, don't, if you don't know these things, you'll just spend ages and ages and ages batting, battling heads with somebody who, that's how God made them. It's likely that they're never going to change. Even if they change, they have to put the effort in to be something else. They have this for people who are dating. They have it for children. They have it for ministry. And I feel it's a tool that, for me, is just going to change how I deal with people if I decide to. Um, but when I was studying this, you know, God said that for whoever, whichever profile you fall into, there's an expectation of God that you will change some things about you. You cannot be a high D and just be a high D and just tell the world, this is who I am. Look at Trump. He's a high D and he's not, this is who I am. Look at how much stress that is causing because I'm not changing, this is, I'm a Heidi, and this is who I am. He can damage organizations, people, and countries. And God is saying, wherever I'm, I'm taking each person, there is something about you that you need to change. And when I was studying this, God told me that, do you know what, each of these profiles, you can link it to the Revelation 4 beasts, you can link it to the Gospels, you can basically see the image of God 
in all these profiles. Because God has the full D, he has the full I, he has the full S, and he has the full C. But what the devil has been able to do is to um, contaminate the image that God has made. So the mind that God had for a Heidi person was the good stuff. But when sin came in, the bad stuff came in. The lack of care for others, the insensitivity, the devil put that there. And God is saying it is your job by the power of the Holy Spirit, but it's your job to get rid of what the enemy has put in you so that the ones that I have put can shine even brighter. And there's no better or worse. Okay, so pastors tend to be S. They tend to be steady, supportive people because they have to be. Um, I's, they tend to be evangelists. They tend to be people that can get others to do stuff. A C tends to be a teacher. And a D tends to be a prophet. So can you see how all the offices are there apart from the apostle, which is one that really has all of them? So can you see how the things that they're teaching out there, we have them in the Bible. But they've, they've sat down, they've done their research, they've come up with this, and we're just sat here wondering what is happening. So how do you make your choices? So Acts 2, 40, and we're coming back to something. So this is what the church is meant to look like. So all the mixture of everything that I've been saying, I'm drawing it back to the church. There's a reason why God has brought us here as a family. Um, and there's something that God wants to do. And you see, the more we look like this, the more power we're going to have. The more we're in each other's life, the more we share what we have, the more we are each other's keeper, we're going to see the manifestation of power that God had in mind. So all the things that God is saying, he can do them, but we have to partner with him to be people that he can use to be able to do that. So there are three types of members in a church. There's engaged, not engaged, and actively disengaged. Now, these terms come from the business world. So I didn't make all of this. Three quarters of this sermon is copy and paste with the Holy Spirit of God that has gone on it. Trust me. Engaged, not engaged, actively disengaged. So it's the same kind of people that they also see in the marketplace. Um, and these are the figures. So in the, your average company, they only have 29% of people who are engaged. So the rest, they're just there. And there's even a tiny bit that all they can do is and get people to leave or they leave. So folks, we need to see where we are here. Where are you? Are you driving that boat? Are you just sat there looking at the scenery? Or are you jumping off and trying to get more people to jump off with you? So when someone is having a conversation with you, try to gauge where they are. Are they jumping off? Are they just trying to drag you to jump off? Or are they trying to drive you to here? But these are the things that we think it's basic. But I'm telling you, these are the small things that God is looking at. Now you're saying you want to have a big ministry and God is going to do this. And you're here. You're actively disengaged. Do you think God is stupid? So he's going to give a big ministry to someone who is not sure. Uh, what's that pastor saying? No, I mean, 
What seed is that person sowing that God wants to put a big ministry on? And there's, you know, there's a drive for this sort of person and church building um, books, church growth books will say, this is the kind of person that you want to pray out of your church because they will drag these lot and you'll just find that even this, these ones that are driving, they'll turn around and see that the boat is empty. What is the point? So we finish with Haggai and the passage we read, which Sister Laulu mentioned uh, two, three weeks ago. Um, Zerubbabel was the person that God used to build his house. So all of that I've been saying, really, I'm driving at this point. Build the house of God. Build the kingdom of God and he will build your life. It is as simple as that. Now, God makes a promise to him saying, oh, I'm going to make you um, the signet, which is the stamp of rulership. Now, what is interesting with this guy is, um, so he was from the royal line of David, and we know that God has said that the savior of the world would come through the line of David. Um, but his great-grandfather had done something that God did not like. And can we open the passage, please? Because I haven't um, put it on. Jeremiah twenty-two twenty-four. So this is something that God himself has said. Can you, yeah, read it? Face the Lord. Mm -hmm. Though Kaniah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, were the signet on my right hand, yet I would pluck you off. And I will give you into the hand of those who seek your life and into the hand of those who fa whose face you fear, the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and the hand of Chaldeans. So I will cast you out and your mother who bore you into another country where you were not born, and there you shall die. But the land to which they desire to return, there they shall not return. That's right. So God himself here says, Jude, you've been misbehaving for a long time. I'm going to, I put you as a ring on my hand, but I'm going to take it off. And he ended up in exile. But because of Zerubbabel's faithfulness, God changed his mind and God put the ring back on. And he said, yeah, my covenant with you, my covenant with your line, my covenant with your family is back on. All because this man decided to build the house of God. I don't know what my ancestors have done, what promises they've made, I don't know. But God knows. And in building his kingdom, in building his people, God is repairing things that I don't even know they have gone wrong. You might think, oh yeah, my dad is this, my mom is that, my grandfather is... You don't know who the people that were there before, what they've promised, what they've done. So with your co commitment to building his house, to building his kingdom, God can reverse curses. And this is a curse that was placed on the line by God, not by, by God. So all the curses placed by the small, small people, God has dealt with it, all because he chose to build the house of God. I don't know if there's anybody here, you're feeling that, oh, um, it's just that there are some people that God likes or that there are people who are the favorites of God. You can become a favorite of God when you do his will. You know, and I pray that, you know, the manifestation of what God wants to do 
in the life of the church, in my life, in the life of each person, I pray that it becomes real. So we can say, yes, when you do this, these are the things that God can do for you. And there might be many of you that you feel, what else do I have to do? Has God not got a good plan for me? What I can only tell you to strengthen you is God has got a plan. There are things that you need to do. I cannot tell you when it's going to end. I cannot tell you when you're going to get there. But trust me, you will. I have been in jobs where going to work, I'll be crying. And you know, you work on a contract basis. If you want to be mean to them and say that you're, that you're not going to go to work, you're also not going to get paid. So you are going there. You want to cry. You can't cry. Then sometimes you cry. Then they ask you what's wrong. You can't tell them what's wrong. because And you're just sat there. And you're looking, you're looking at the vision books. And God said this and this and this. So when are you going to do it? When are you going to do it? We have to be ready. I feel to an extent I'm ready for what God is bringing. But I also know that there is more that I need to do. There's more work that I need to do to even get to the next level. And it would be foolish of me to just say, well, God has done this now. I'm happy. I've settled. That's it. There are so many people who are not doing what God is asking them to do. God is giving extra jobs to people just to fill in that gap. If you want God to use you, don't worry. There's plenty of work to be done. But God will not use an instrument that is not refined, an instrument that he's not ready for the work that he's going to do for him. So as we move to our prayers, really, you know... Pray for you, not even for the church of God. Pray for you, that God, I know the promises that you have made. I know the word that you have spoken through the prophets. I know even the word that you have put in my heart. God, remove the interference from my life. If my mindset is wrong, God, help me. You see, pride is the killer of destiny. The fixed mindset is rooted in pride. I am okay. I don't need anything else. I don't need anybody else. Lord, teach me to know my need. Help me, Lord. There's nothing that I can do just of my own. See, you need to give God permission to change you. I read this in a book. It said, you have to permit God. You have to say, God, I give you permission to change me. I am a high D. There are good things about it. There are bad things about it. Lord, I give you permission to change the bad things. And you know how he's going to change them? He's just going to put you in situations where you just have to. And he will hurt you. Because you want to shout at someone and you're not allowed. That's it. There's no magic. You want to quit that job, but you know that VAT hmm, is due. You will not quit. You stay. Or when you've made up your mind that you're leaving church, that's when the vision will be coming out here. And you know that, no, I should not be there. Everywhere that I've served, I see the preparation that God was putting me through just for the next level. And if I had not gone through that, there are things I'm doing now I would not be able to handle. What is the pain that you're saying, I don't want to have this pain? That pain is God dealing with the interference that is keeping you from realizing your destiny. It's time we embrace that pain. 
It may be that your pain is waking up at 7 on a Sunday morning. That for you is pain. And God is saying, you need to go through that pain if you want to enter the destiny that I've prepared for you. It might seem like a simple thing, but it may be that that is what the whole of your destiny hangs on. That God is saying, I want to see you serving in my house every Sunday. Maybe your destiny hangs on that and you take it for granted until you do it and God has time. It is us that don't have time. God, I don't want to live a meaningless life. God, I don't want to just be. I want to live in the fullness of your glory. Not half. Not a quarter. Not things that everyone else has done. Not things that we're used to. You know, the CNS church, we've been in the UK, what, 40 years, 50 years now? If we disappeared from the UK, would they notice? Would they notice? What are we doing? You know, there are pastors, there are prophets that get to have meetings with members of parliament. That when things happen, they call those pastors. They go to those pastors' houses, they pick them up, and they take them to Buckingham Palace to go and speak to the rulers. Why is that not happening to us? Because we're not ready. That's the simple fact. Because God cannot tell us to sit down and have a seat. I'm at the Denisha. And then we have some way of fixing it. When God is saying, do this, do this, do this, there is a plan. And the plan that God has is always bigger than the plan that you have. Lord, in any way that I have tied your hands, in any way that I have said, no, I want to do my own thing, in the ways that I have thought that what God wants to do, no, God does not know what he's doing. Lord, help me. I want to do the kind of stuff that I'll be telling my children, I'll be telling my children's children, and they will be like, I want to worship your God, mom. I want to keep going to your church, mom. I don't want my kids to feel like, well, yeah, well, my dad, my mom, that's what they were doing, but, you know, they didn't really change the world. What is the legacy that you want to leave behind in your workplace? Who do you want to be? I'm on a project now and there are things that are going wrong. You know what? I actually fasted and I said, God, before the end of today, I need the general counsel of this company to sign this letter. Now, how God did it, the PA of this man, he sacked her for no reason. God knows. But my manager got through to this PA and the PA said, this guy that you're writing email to, he doesn't read his emails. If you want him to do something, you have to call him. I don't know whether they called him, whether they didn't call him. All I knew was that I brought my fast at three. By quarter past three, the man has signed the letter. He has scanned it. He has sent it. The manager in Germany, she literally wrote, wow. The general counsel. So if they pick the top five people, he's number three, four. And he, he printed he read the email. The email, they said that he doesn't read. It's not his PA that read it. It's not his PA that printed it. He read the email. Somehow, everything in his inbox. He picked that email. He printed that paper. He signed it. He scanned it. He emailed it back. I was like, ah, I didn't know it was going to be so quick. And you know, if that man had not signed that paper on that day, there's a contract that is hanging that the company might be losing. 
But because there was somebody, because there was a Daniel, because there was a Joseph, I was able to stand in the gap for that project. But if I didn't know, I would just be looking at them saying, doesn't matter, problem me. Hello, come here. I want to share one. Really? So if they lose the project, do you think that I'll keep my job? God, help me. Help me. There is so much more that we could be. There's so much more that we could. There's so much wrong teaching out there that unfortunately is keeping people down, that is keeping people low. That is keeping people low. The wrong teaching that you can disobey God and somehow with some prayers you can fix it. The many ways that I have done the wrong thing thinking that it doesn't matter. The days in which I have lost the pieces of the puzzle that you gave to me. My life that you want to build that I by myself I am losing the pieces because me of a quarrel. Because that person cannot talk to me. Because I am there's lots of vision that God has told me he's going to do. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon. Have a blessed week.